Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Caitlin Foss, who I know personally from a mastermind group and through one of our mentors, Jenny Blake. I'm so excited to have Caitlin on the podcast because we are talking about some real shit here, people. We're talking about some of our fears, death, control, how we get to be with all of it when we are driven, ambitious achievers. A little bit about Caitlin. She is a master certified coach who has worked with thousands of clients. She also climbed the academic ladder earning tenure at her university, and her expertise is in developmental psychology combined with instinctive meditation where she integrates the whole person. So let's settle in to this episode and let's get centered. Caitlin, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you, Wade. It's an honor to be here. I remember when you were picking out the artwork for this podcast and I've gotten to watch it evolve. So I'm glad to be a guest. Yeah, I know, right? 2017 when I launched it and just had meditations. Um, And so just over the last few years, I've gotten encouraged to have guests on. So I'm excited to have, have you on. And I'd love to begin by sharing with us, what is your favorite ritual or daily practice that supports you staying centered? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because at this point, I wouldn't say there's one or that I'm really strict about anything or I'm following and this is what I have to do. If anything, it's a relaxing of the rituals and seeing what wants to happen that morning, that day. Uh, And I'll say often a go-to for the past several years has been a 30-minute breathwork practice from my meditation teacher. And that really anchored and grounded me in the past couple of years. And now it's had a loosening of like, oh, I don't need, you know, I don't need to do that every day. And kind of like, there's still time to meditate and there's still time for other practices. But that was something I did for like every morning, first thing, no matter where I was. So I go through phases, but there's not something that I must do right now. I love that you're mentioning that because this comes up in some of my client conversations when it's like, we want to hold our rituals so tight 
and like hold it. And then if we miss it for a day, we feel like a failure. Or if we say we're going to go for a run that day and we actually like our body doesn't want to run, but we feel like we have to because we said we're going to go and we put it on our calendar, you know, like that sense of like constriction and, and staying scheduled. I love this permission that you're emphasizing of just checking in, checking in on what wants to be created or practiced. And it sounds like breathing, uh, breath work practice was really supportive for you for years. And right now it sounds like, oh, it's kind of, you're exploring what's there. Yeah. And letting it flow rather than a rigidity, because part of the question in that, that I hear you saying is like, who made my schedule internally? <laughs> and are they the one that needs to run the show every single day? Well, this is amazing because when I first met you and we were doing our mastermind work together, you were like, Mrs. I'm up at 5 a.m. CrossFit, like super scheduled, you know, you're teaching at the time. So I'm curious, like what has your journey been to be where you are in a more less rigid, more relaxed state? If, I, mm. if, those, if those words resonate for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the recognition of the overachievement and the structure was a sense of control because there wasn't, there isn't control, right? If we really think about, we're all spinning on this planet and what's actually happening. We're making up stories about what's going on. And when COVID hit, a lot of people relaxed their routines or just like completely changed by default and I doubled down on my rigidity and that's part of that time that you're talking about of well this is what I can control and this is what I can do and I'm really good at that because I'm an achiever and that's how I have my worth in this world by doing things so I'm just going to do more and I'm going to make sure I do things so catching that that was the pattern then naturally helped it loosen up of ah, that's what's really going on there. I have fears that are not really being addressed. And so I cope by controlling. I can totally resonate. Like when I had my shit storm in 2010 of getting diagnosed with cancer and losing my mom at the same time, it was like, okay, the world is crumbling around me and inside of me. Like what can I grasp onto and what can I control, right? I can control what I eat and how I how I feed myself and how I move my body and who I surround myself with and how I spend my time. And it's very helpful and I think skillful to a certain extent to a place of like, it helped me create a sense of inner stability and inner security in a world that didn't feel safe. And at the same time, I think once I started to feel safe, right? Being able to soften that because as you're sharing, like we can't control. And when we over control, it's like, we're like squeezing the juice out of life. Well said. I know that this last year has been a big shift for you. A lot has been in transition. And I'd love for you to share with us, you know, a little bit about the story, what you feel comfortable sharing and kind of where, where you were and where you are now. Yeah. So pre COVID, let's say three years ago, I was a tenured professor and department chair 
and I was a homeowner with my husband. We ended up being together for 16 years. We had adopted out of foster care. We like lived out in the country. Like everything was the life I had built three years ago and like pinnacle of achievement and what I, this version of me, had created. And so there I was living it. And several years before I had known I wanted to get out of academia. So I was also taking the leap out of academia and going into full-time coaching. So I decided that right before the world shuts down and took that leap to face the fear of leaving the secure golden handcuffs, all of that. But I didn't imagine that my family life was going to change in the future really at all. What then happened, so that was three years ago, two years ago, we decided to move home to Ohio because now we had flexibility, location flexibility. And it was this slow, I mean, this is a hindsight perspective of, oh, if I really look back, there was this slow unraveling from my perspective of, wait, this wasn't just my job changing. It gave me some sense of security and believing that Oh, you know, if you had told me three years ago, all right, your whole life is going to get turned upside down in three years. I would, you know, I would have been like, nope, we're not doing that. Absolutely not. And instead it was like, no, no, okay, jobs changing. And then, okay, we're moving. And then my husband and I started to realize, wait, like we have different goals for the future. We've grown into different people. Um, let's, you know, it took us until... December of 2021, we decided that future doesn't include each other, which was heartbreaking to both of us. Like we've been together and we were, we ended up married after eight and a half years of being together before that. And so it was one of these, um, oh, but we thought that we were in this forever and we had made those plans together. So we decided to get divorced, which was a process of itself. But by, so in April, unfortunately, he passed away unexpectedly. And that is a year ago. And that turned everything upside down because on the one hand, I never expected him. He was 40. So I didn't expect a 40-year-old man to die and his experience with that and such a shock to the system. And at the same time, it had also been my worst fear looking back, it was part of why we stayed together for so long and why we just kept trying to make it work. And it took a lot of therapy sessions and facilitation over the years for me to even realize that. So by December, I realized I have this fear that he will die. And if I put that fear on the table, okay, now it's out in open space. Now there's room for it to breathe. Still never expected it to happen. And then he did die in April. So it was like December to April. And I was like, wait, what happens when your worst fear literally comes true? And it's just like a, oh, that night that he died and I was so shocked was also the same night that I like lay down on the concrete floor outside of the house and I... I, I felt simultaneously so held by the universe. Like it's the worst night of my life and I'm held unconditionally of like, I've got you. And it was just like, oh. wow. 
All right, so let's slow this down for a moment because it's a lot of shifting, a lot of job change, location change, relationship change, and then grief of losing this partner that you were with for many, many years. And I really appreciate that you're calling out your big fear around losing your partner because that really resonates with me too. I've been with my husband for 11 years, married almost five, four and a half. And I think having lost my mother at a young age and just knowing what grief is like and knowing what it's like to lose such a staple person in your life. Yeah, like that is a fear that whispers inside of me and I don't like saying that out loud and he hates it when I talk about it. <laughs> so I just I like really appreciate you sharing sharing that out loud. And like I'm curious if we zoom in on there a little bit more like for you what was that fear of losing your partner? Yeah, I think well one here's what it looked like playing out. So when we were married, it sounded like me yelling at him often of just, you need to eat your vegetables. Like I was clearly mothering him, you know, kind of like, I need you to take care of him, care of yourself. I would say these words to him, like, I need you to take care of yourself so that we can be around together when we're 80. And you're on a trajectory right now of not taking care of yourself. And so it was me trying to control his behavior because of that fear. So that's what it would look like. And we'd get into fights. And I mean, I see this with other couples too. Like, what are we, what are we most scared of, of losing each other as if we're not going to be able to live on the other end? And I mean, I'm, I'm living (laughs) and it's quite surprised me like, oh, wow. Okay. And life does go on. And it's one of those, like, you only know it when you've been through grief. Um, But to address your original question, that fear that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't be able to carry on, that I wouldn't know what to do with myself, that it would hurt so much that it would kill me too, on some level. It was a very concrete experience too, if I think about it, like the concreteness of him seemed like all that he was. And on this end of it, and if anybody's lost someone, we still, or I, I'll speak for myself, I still feel his presence. I still know he's here. In that consciousness idea of we're all one and we're all in this together and like he's part of that too so if that's true then what i was afraid of losing was the character of him and the concreteness and like the ability to know he was there and playing out a life even if i didn't want to be part of it anymore i still had in mind like and now he goes off and like gets married and has a baby and like lives happily ever after just now it's without me is part of what i was telling myself at the time through the divorce process and we are all like afraid of concreteness yet if we look around nothing's going to be here in none of us will be here in 300 years none of this stuff will be here the earth isn't going to be here eventually right we already know that timeline like it all concretely disappears and yet we hold on for dear life i mean even the idea of uh headstones right we try to make something permanent on this earth to remember someone and it's not permanent yeah it's like interesting of how deep we're talking about that control piece right how deep that control and holding on to life gripping to it that we can have 
I know for me, one of my biggest fears with losing my husband is not only like, will his presence not be here in the, in the world, but that sense of, of security of like losing that person in your life who you lean on so much. And I notice it's brought up in me a lot of um, questions around like inner trust. Like, can I trust myself that I can survive again because I've lost so deeply before? Mm -hmm. And that aspect of like, can I do this again? And what I'm hearing inside of you is you had all those questions too of like, will I be able to survive and live on if my greatest fear of my partner passing happens? And yet you're noticing your feet are on the ground right now. You are here. Mm -hmm. I'm here. And I did have, it happened in stages in terms of, you know, uh, people think about their current partner that they live with and all that. Like I moved out. I had my financial stability. I was raised to be a very independent woman from the beginning. Even when we were married, our reliance because of my over independence also wasn't perhaps as strong as it is for some other couples. Like all of this was in place tangibly for me to take care of myself because we were going through the divorce process. It wasn't finalized. I ended up being his legal widow. And I had that compared to if it had happened two years ago or three years ago, that would have been like, now I have a lot more to sort through. And yeah, where's this person that I talk to every night? You know, we would have been through that disconnect already. Um, but yeah, it's parenting the inner selves, like the the young woman in you too, you know, that has those memories and who parents her and how often do we maybe like, sometimes I put that on somebody else of like, hey, can you soothe my inner child? Because I get really tired of soothing her. <laughs> this is this, whoever this eye is speaking, right? But it's like this okay, if that person is in charge of some of my inner characters, what happens when they're gone? Yeah, well, it's back to parenting myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, taking personal responsibility for your healing, for your inner work that's happening. What has shifted in your life or, or even like how you live life after this past year? Oh, gosh, yeah. So much slowing down. Like I was working full time, so I took off the week that he died. And I could have taken off more time. I, um, the coaching company I was working for at the time was flexible with that, but working actually helped me. That is one of my coping mechanisms. So staying at work and then taking care of all this mountain of paperwork that happens with death and um, like that. And then clearing out a house and all of that actually kept me focused. And when all that started to dissipate out, it, you know, last summer, all I had the capacity for was to show up to coach my clients 20 hours a week and often like turn off the screen, be on the floor crying. Just uh, to be consumed with grief was part of this past year. It's only been in the past couple of months that it's that, you know, sometimes I think of it as a cloud or like a it's lightened in terms of, or if I call it a character, right? Like grief with a capital G might knock on my door now for the metaphor it would be like, it knocks on my door and says, can we hang out? Can you feel me today? And I go, yeah, okay, come in. Or can you wait till Saturday? We can make deals now. 
in the beginning grief just was like on top of me you you must take care of me I must be with you at the next instant that you have is what it felt like last summer and and then I'll say too I also started dating someone three weeks before he died and was like experiencing oh what's it like to date again and that whole experience then he dies and I'm saying to somebody I've been dating for three weeks like hey um now that this has happened there's us but there you know you can also it's kind of like you also don't need to be here and stick around for this this isn't quite what you signed up for but that partner is still here and so part of last summer was also I had joy and and fun experiences that I didn't even think were going to be possible. Like, how do you learn or learn to love someone or be developing a romantic relationship with relationship with somebody while grieving the last one? And they know that. And you're also like, and this is a very personal journey. So that was also very like mixed and tied in there. And we did a lot of fun stuff too. It was one of those like, sometimes I think, yes, I was crying very often on the floor. And I think people thought I was doing that. Like, oh, I can't talk to her because she must be doing that. Like, no, but I also like went dancing at this event or whatever. I also wanted to talk about those things. And so sometimes people really hesitate in your life to believe one that you're doing any of that or two, they could talk to you about it. Just a lot of people avoided me in general. Yeah, I think that's, um, you shared a lot of insightful aspects of like the grief process there of like one, it just shows up unannounced, <laughs> especially in the first year when it's really fresh. And um, also how beautiful it sounds like you've been able to build a relationship with grief where you can negotiate how to how to be with it when it wants to show up and what actually works for you in your life. And also how there can be gratitude right alongside grief because sometimes we get so in this like, no, I'm only in grieving or I'm only in like joy, happy times in my life. But how much of our daily life is actually filled with a roller coaster of emotions and a lot of of uh, polar opposite kind of emotions and, and that we have the capacity to hold both. Yeah. Love and grief are side by side. And I only, I only get to feel some of these joyful emotions because I'm willing to feel that grief. And it is, I mean, it is the cliche of the like appreciation of that present moment now is so present in terms of, I don't know when this ends. And there's, it's just a falling away too of like, this does end someday. This pattern, this routine I'm in, this partner, this, like everybody's partners and either through death or through somebody leaving. And so, and I don't know when that timeline is. Can't plan it all out. Like part of my brain would love to. And so why don't I just be here? Like right now, eating this ice cream, like savoring it and just being like, I'm glad I'm here right now. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. very, they're, there, I could do that sometimes in my marriage, but they were also much more like in my head planning the next moment or the next year or our future together rather than, hey, look at us right now with these dogs and with this life we have right now. I want to circle back there because, oof, 
Do I do that a lot? And that is a constant practice for me. And I'm curious, you shared when, when you first lost your ex-husband, how you dove into work and the busyness felt really supportive and cleaning up the house helps you stay focused. Why is that? Like from your, even just like expertise as a teacher in psychology, like why is that our American culture coping strategy? Because it's obviously not just you, but I really think it's cultural. There's a lot of other cultures, Latin America, like don't fill the void of grief with busyness. They they give it space. They give it family. They give it space to cry and, and feel. So I'm curious to dissect that with you a little bit more. Oh, I love it because, yeah, I mean, it's the layers of Protestant work ethic. I'm a good person if I work hard and then I get rewarded if I do work, right? Paychecks and gold stars and all of the things. No one's judging if you're using work as a coping mechanism. Well, maybe your family at home, but especially for me in the last year, I didn't, I, that was gone already. And so there was especially nobody to judge that this is how I was coping. People notice if you're doing something like drinking, alcohol catches up with you. If you're, um, you know, just watching too much TV or people stage interventions for those kinds of things. There's no intervention for overworking. There's just more reward and more payment. And we, love stories about that too right we prioritize people for like wow you got through that and still managed to make more money than you ever have in the past year like there's totally a world where I could go down that path and people put that on a pedestal because of the culture we live in yes and I you know it's just like no that's not the game I'm playing like this is this is about presence and flow and love for me and can I remind myself of that instead of feeding into the system that we're we're swimming in this water that we don't even notice in U.S. culture. So how did you give yourself permission to get out of that pool, get out of the like doing busy pool and give yourself permission to lay in the ground and cry? Hmm. Well, it kind of felt like I didn't have a choice. I mean, and let's say too, it's not like I've got this down. I still do it, <laughs> but I think it's the having compassion for catching when I am doing it. Oh, oh, here I go again, trying to fill space, trying to fill time. I read something interesting the other day that was talking about like, if we stop and don't do anything, we have to make sense of the silence and the quiet and the nothingness and just that is very scary that's actually scary so I, if I step back and give myself compassion for like of course I worked two weeks later after he died because there was only so much I could handle yeah grief was on top of me and I kind of had to say I, I can't just live in this all the time there's got to be something else so for you I'm hearing there is this like permission to give yourself compassion when you're feeling those heavy emotions and, and to sounds like respond skillfully, like give yourself permission to lay on the ground and just cry it out 
and also balancing it with, I need to keep living and moving forward in life. And obviously it sounds like the striking of the balances, it's not about being perfect and getting it perfect, but it sounds like you kind of danced back and forth in those. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear you say the word moving forward, it's kind of funny, right? It's like, what do we think we're moving forward towards? It's just this like, and I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm moving forward. It's just another system Mm -hmm. that we get sucked into rather than that whole, like, I'm actually just a human that gets up, lays down, sits down. And that pretty much seems to be all that's like actually happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we add stories on top of all of it and say, we're moving forward, progress. Mm -hmm. Circling back to that piece around planning. I am a planner with a capital P and when I'm even on my silent retreats, it's, I have more comical compassion for myself because I notice and can hear the planning more. Cause I'm like, what am I really planning? You're going from sitting meditation to walking meditation. Like, you know, it's just, it's, I can feel the control of time. And so I'm curious for you, where do you see the balance of when planning is skillful and when it starts to become too much of a grip of control? Mm-hmm. I like to ask myself, what feeling is generating this action? So am I doing it from fear? Like I can see myself even now trying to plan my summer. Like, okay, so my summer is going to look like this. And it's all, it's just made up to help give me a sense of security. And you know, there's like a practice of, can I trust that the summer unfolds the way that it needs to? This character of Caitlin is not running the show. So there's that. And that doesn't mean I'm just going to sit around and wait for stuff to happen. I'll still take action, but I'm only doing it from a feeling of joy, lightheartedness, ease, flow. It can't be from any scarcity feelings or that'll just get me more of that. And I'll be in a vicious cycle. I love that question to sit with like what feeling is generating this action so that it sounds like you're moving through life with intention, not reactivity, mm-hmm. not based on, on the, the fears or the lack of something, which is really hard to practice. Yeah. As- well, and we can make it up that it's easy too at the same time. Right. Cause if I tell myself it's hard, then it's definitely going to be hard. I hear you. Yes, it's hard. And I'm going to believe like, well, every time I practice it, there's another drop in the bucket. Totally. Yeah. It's possible, (laughs) right? It's possible to practice. And I think that's where for me, just even the practice of slowing down to notice my thoughts and my emotions, right? This is where mindfulness comes in, gives us an insight to be able to choose differently. How often I think we can even jump to like the choice. How are we choosing? But it's like sometimes we need to take five steps backwards and just notice, like have awareness, as much awareness as I think I've gained over the years of being a meditator and a meditation teacher. I am still effing learning how to notice my own fears and notice my own emotions and, and, and anxieties. And so just that constant practice of noticing so we can name and label. So I, I love that prompt that you shared. So when you're living life, and you maybe notice that your toes are starting to dip into the pool of doing and the cycle of 
speed up and and control. How do you discern when you want to get in that pool and play? Because I know for a lot of my clients, like that pool feels really good. As you said earlier, like it adds to that reward system. And there's this thought that if I slow down, I'm going to fall behind. Or if I fall behind and slow down, I'm not going to have energy to go faster or speed back up. Does that thought ever resonate with you? And if so, how do you be with it? Yeah, it's part of what you're saying when you say fall behind. It makes me think two things. One, sounds good. And or from what? A system that we've made up that people say, go, go, go. So I'm always, you know, it's like hamster wheel of what, whose hamster wheel am I in right now? So there's playing, there's like, uh, I'm playing with this system. I'm participating in this system on purpose, but not because from a fear that I'm going to fall behind because that's the trap that I'm caught in the system rather than recognizing I'm playing a game. I'd like to go play that game for a little bit. Oh, and, and so I think of it too as like, oh, and I know that game's addicting. So let's, you know, here's a little timer <laughs> of just, we'll play that game. And then we ground ourselves back down. A lot of somatic tools come up when you say this too. Of, Am I going into something with tension in my body? Well, that's a surefire way to know I'm probably up to trouble compared to is it soft and light and flowing. And if I'm not flowing, then we're not doing it. And no matter how many parts inside of me get upset about that, even if it's easy, like, no, no, just let us drive this really fast car. We know how to do this. We know how to like achieve and be in that system. Like, no, we, yeah, we, yeah, we know. And we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to do it that way. Yeah. You're bringing up the somatic piece and something I've been sitting with within my own body. And I also see this within a lot of my clients. We're so conditioned to like push push through life, push, push, push. And so if we feel that in our body, whether that shows up as tension or even like for me, a lot of times it kind of shows up as like a leaning forward motion. And in it, and it's not a pleasant leaning forward. It feels like a headbutting leaning forward that again is coming from more of a survival place inside the nervous system. What are we pushing for? And it kind of leads back to that question of what you asked, what you shared earlier, like what feeling is generating this action? Because it's is it a pushing feeling and it's coming from a place of survival or can I rest back and find what you just shared of like flow, ease, maybe that just like, ah, sense, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it doesn't mean it's always like um, uh, easy, which is something one of our mentors says, right? Like ease versus easy. So referencing Jenny Blake there, but my metaphor I love to refer to all the time is mother nature is showing us this in something like childbirth. Like there's a time to push in childbirth for sure. And that doesn't feel good. Like the, the, there are many experiences in childbirth that do not feel good or easy. And yet when well-timed and someone guiding you and you're going with that flow, like, okay, and now's the time to push. I'm going to give everything I have right now, knowing when those moments arise and capitalizing on them, so to speak, if I want to use that word, <laughs> then that's like the, okay, now it's go time. So can I lean into those moments? Like as we're stepping into spring, mother nature is also saying, well, spring and where we live, it's this idea of 
oh, now I have energy again. It's not winter. We're not in hibernation. Like it is a time to speed up some things. Great. Let me go with that. I'm not going to resist it. It's not going to stay like this. It's not a 365 days out of the year and must do all the things and check off the boxes. Yeah. And building on that, it's like we have the natural seasons and cycles around us in nature. And also sometimes I know it's like my own body doesn't correlate to that. Like for instance, that summertime is typically like go, go, go. And for me, summertime actually can sometimes be like the inverse. Like I kind of want to slow down more. Like I want to be a lizard sitting on a rock in the sun. You know, like I want, I need that sense of like absorb the vitamin D energy. Maybe that's because I live in Seattle and it's (laughs) super dark a lot of the time. But um, so just balancing the um, the cycles and seasons internally and externally and listening to those rhythms, I think is, can be very skillful. I think death can be our biggest teachers. And we, and, and I say we as in like American culture, North American culture can want to like resist the lessons of death because it feels so unpleasant, but there's so much richness about how to live when we experience death and can touch it. Any final kind of thoughts or what's resonating with you about how you're wanting to live these days after having this really intense experience with death? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really realigns. Like I talked a lot about death before. I taught death to my college students. We read books about death. Now I feel like I have an embodied experience that I don't wish on anyone. And yet it was like the greatest teacher of, wow, I've learned so much and I've, so many lessons are sinking in and becoming clear. Like life is clearer. And that's what I'm headed toward. You know, if there's any life goal at this point, it's like, and I'm preparing for death. And I remind myself of that every day that it's coming and it's there and it's not something to fear, but it's, I don't know that timeline exactly. So it's all of those kind of cliches. It's just like, okay, so today I have today and thinking of him reminds me of that too. And so there's a lot of gratitude for that. And there's all stages of grief too. So like it flows from gratitude and also all kinds of emotions, but can I come back to that and recenter and just so much falls away when you've gone through that so many small things that we get worked up about so living my life now yeah it's just hey right now right here with wade here we are this is beautiful and all the listeners too like thanks for taking the time to be with us in this experience Mm -hmm. yeah i try to tap into that and live from that place a lot as well and i notice that I'm still healing from being a cancer survivor and recognizing this, like there's not enough time conversation, which I know a lot of us in American culture, North American culture have. And this feeling of like, I need to do everything on my list because time is a ticking. And this balance of like, fuck, if this was my last day, like how do I wanna live it? And just be right here right now and come back to like actually what matters. So I think balancing both of those is just a constant 
practice. <laughs> but I love what you're emphasizing around like releasing the grip of control. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and wisdom and, ex and experiences with us. Where can people learn more about you and stay connected? Yeah, I'd love for people to reach out. And I uh, have a space for coaching clients and speaking engagements and groups right now. I am at drcaitlinfoss.com. So D-R-C-A-I-T-L-I-N, S as in Frank, A-A, S as in Sam, two A's in my last name, dot com. And that's the same name on social media, on well, really only on Instagram these days and LinkedIn, but happy to connect and hear from people what resonated. What a powerful episode to explore our fears, our control, and just the gift that is of letting go and having the courage to just realize life is in this moment and how often we forget that. Join Caitlin and I on Instagram. We would love to hear your takeaways from this episode, what you're learning about your own fears, about your own sense of control, and anything else that's awakening inside of you we would love to continue the conversation. So join us on Instagram, DM us. And if you can think of somebody in your life who would benefit from listening to this podcast episode, take a moment and share it with them. As we know, sharing is caring. Thanks for being here as always. Until next time, stay centered.